right. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Mimic, the podcast by marketers for marketers in the mortgage industry, talking about issues, trends, and tactics to help mortgage professionals realize how great this industry is and uh, help things move forward. I have a great episode today for you uh, with a wonderful guest, Andrew Penner, the CMO of Total Mortgage, based in Connecticut, sunny Connecticut. Andrew, how are you doing today? Oh, yeah. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Can't complain, my friend. Uh, it's great to be here, and thanks for for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to get a chat with new individuals and meet new fun guys. So um, we'll just jump jump right in, right? Um, you know, I think a lot of people in the mortgage, uh, in marketing and mortgage specifically, um, you know, tend to think of marketing as creating assets and you know sponsoring golf holes and whatever. But you guys do things a little bit differently there, and this is one of the things that. I'm just like most interested in with you is that you find have found ways to really allow data and reporting to guide your decisions. Um, so kind of understanding those metrics and things like that, how does that set total mortgage apart from other mortgage companies out there today? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, for us, I think one of the big things that we do is we're trying to provide marketing support to each individual loan officer, right? And it's really hard to do that without some sort of measurement process in there. You know, we've always said, you can't manage what you can't measure. And so we first try and track everything. And then when we're able to do that, when we're able to report on every little detail of what's going on and what makes a difference, what doesn't, we can trim some of the fat and focus on the really important stuff. And it allows us instead of spending, you know, take the social side for instance, right? Instead of spending, five hours a month per person trying to create content, wondering if it works or not. We get to draw on this huge bank of content that we've posted for that person, for similar people, um, and understand what works and what doesn't. And it really starts to create a content strategy that really starts to kind of drive itself instead of us having to do a lot of that creative heavy lifting. I think um, beyond that, you know, you can also experiment a little more freely. You know, you know if you're measuring it, you know, you can take some more risks. You are tempted in mortgage to be really, really conservative with what you do, especially when you're marketing on behalf of people. And so, you know, we've earned a lot of trust from our loan officers by tracking everything, reporting back the results and saying, you know what, we might take a little bit of a risk here, but we'll know by the end of this, whether it works or whether it doesn't work. And then we'll know what to do next time. You said something interesting there. And I want to just touch on real briefly is you know, you, you have a lot of data and experience on what type of content works for what, you know, for different individuals. I think what's interesting about that though, and I'm sure you dive into this, is that everybody's audience, right? So, you know, Joe, the loan officer versus Andrew, the loan officer in different parts of the country or have different audiences. And those audiences that they, that either that are the agents they work with, their potential borrowers or just people in their communities, people that they attract are different. Um, and so it's, it's cool to see, know what type of things work for the general audience, but being able to measure on that individual loan officer's success and be able to see, all right, this type of content really didn't work for Andrew, but it works for Joe. Right. And then do you, how do you, how do you tell at that individual level and how does that help you inform those decisions? Yeah. I mean, part of it is grouping people because we have, you know, we manage profiles everywhere from I think our low one is like 12 followers which is hardly worth much time but we're growing it you know we're, we're getting there bit by bit um, to you know profiles over 15,000 followers and so you have different sample sizes as well 
Um, part of what we track is, you know, tracking it on the individual level by post type, by content type that's posted, you know, looking at links versus video versus um, just raw text updates and things like that um, versus what the topic is about, what day of the week it was posted, what time slot it was posted during, you know, we don't get so granular as to go hour of day, but, you know, grouping it by morning, early morning, mid morning, late morning, early afternoon. Um, and then trying to group like loan officers together. So there are geographic differences, there's you know, psychographic differences. Um, some people are into certain things, some people aren't. Some people are doing you know, jumbo deals, other people are doing first-time homebuyer programs and FHA. Um, and so what we're trying to do is find as large of a sample size as we can, and then find the conclusions in there and apply some of those insights to other people. Um, you know, just as an example, um, we know video content on our side has about 5x the engagement rate of static photos. That's a global type of thing. Um, but we have some loan officers where, you know, just for example, they have a really loyal following and their per personal posts actually blow up. It doesn't matter if we post a video for them or not. They could take a picture of their dog and it just 10x's anything that, that <laughs> we could possibly post. Um, and some people where their audience is predominantly real estate agents. And so we want to post more professional, you know, B2B related content more so than B2C. Um, and the B2C stuff that we do post is meant to be shareable, you know, share it to your page instead and create some virality out of it. Um, so that's a little bit of insight into our strategy, at least there. I love that. That's really cool. And I, you know, I obviously social is one of those things where I get very excited about, but it, you know, your whole business isn't based on social media as well. Right. So what are some of the other tactics that you guys do that, that you are tracking reporting on and, you know, what are some things like, I don't know if you can maybe even think of an example of something where you've, 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 you've created a campaign or you've done some kind of marketing effort. You've reported on something, you've, you've checked the, the data behind it. And it's informed you make a decision to change course or direction for either the whole, you know, your whole marketing team or maybe an individual or what have you. Is there anything that you can share with us about that? Yeah, probably a couple. Um, one would be, you know, we, again, do a lot of reporting, not just on organic social media, but on the paid side of things as well. Yeah. Um, and our data analyst, who's incredible, um, noticed actually at one point, hey, for the loan officers where we're running paid media campaigns as well for them on Facebook and Instagram, um, their organic reach is actually 18% higher on average than it was prior to us starting the campaigns. Mm. Um, so we're seeing, and you know, that some people were turning off, on and off during different times. And we consistently saw this trend where the max actually, one of our LOs had a 300% increase, which is I think just an outlier. Um, but looking at this across a ton of profiles, we saw an 18% increase in organic reach per follower, which is kind of a way we normalize reach across all those different follower bases, um, you know, for people who were running paid media. So we ended up adapting and saying, you know what, how do we get more people on, you know, branding and paid media online? So we created a kind of tier type approach where loan officers could opt into 
you know, the normal free tiers, we always, all our marketing support, unless we have hard costs is, is free, but we were encouraging people to invest in themselves. And the common question we got was, you know, where do I start? And so we said, look, we'll go $150 increments. You can go 150, 300, 450, 600. Um, and now, you know, we probably had two dozen people on paid plans before. Now we have like 80 people on paid plans and it's incredible because we're doing a ton of retargeting to their sphere, some local branding. And it's really helped not only amplify the reach on those campaigns, but also to increase the follower base as well, which is pretty powerful impact. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting that that's a really interesting call out and you know, something that I think our listeners would be really um, love to dig into more about the, the expansion of your organic reach based on pay, right? And I, think, I know a lot of the platforms don't like to say, you know, pay to play, but really it is, it is in your best interest. And I think those results speak for themselves. And I'm sure anyone else in, the, you know, in our earshot would also say, hey, when I'm running ads through Facebook or Instagram or what have you, um, my reach goes up. And it could be attributed to two different things. One is you're just putting better content, you're reaching new audience, right? So you're getting more followers. So then of course your reach is gonna go up. But I would suspect as well that there is, um, it's not nefarious, but obviously the, the algorithm is gonna favor you if you are spending more money within that specific platform. You agree or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I have no, you know, hard proof of that, um, but for our results, which are more correlative than, than anything else. But yeah, I mean, again, just from what we saw, it seems like there is a correlation there and it's something that continued to trend out as we increased the sample size to more and more accounts. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Facebook especially has been trying to make a money grab for a while, you know, they've always, <laughs> every little chance they get, they're trying to favor paid media. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's so true. Well, it's cool to see that your LOs are seeing that benefit as well. I mean, you mentioned that you had a lot of them on the lower tiers, but you're having you know more of your team recognize the power and the benefit of personal branding on social, either whether it's you know your team helping them out with organic content or managing their paid ads. Um, what do you think that that kind of switch or that that flip mentally that got so many more individuals to be, you know, investing more in their business through marketing through through your team? So what do I think was that switch the flip? Yeah. What? Did, how did you get so much more interest from your team to buy into this? Yeah, it was kind of twofold. Um, one was just, I mean, I guess they're both kind of related to just showing them the numbers, you know it's we marketed we thought pretty well for years um for these loan officers and you know they always knew that we did a pretty good job they occasionally have somebody say oh i saw you on instagram or i saw you on facebook and things like that and that obviously helps stroke the ego and also kind of reinforce some of what we're doing but it's a whole different ball game ball game when you can say listen you're going to get more results out of this. Oh, and by the way, the last time we did this, you saw X percent lift from this. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of a game-changing thing that, um, you know, our CEO actually made a big push on us to do last year, which I'm really grateful for, is trying to quantify the business impact of the marketing that we're doing. So how much production are we adding to each loan officer as a result of our marketing activities through email, paid media, um, you know, social media, lead gen, all sorts of stuff. Um, and spotlight, which we haven't even talked about yet, but 
when we were able to put that in front of loan officers and say, look, our average loan officer is increasing their production by 20.6% over a 12 month period based off of the marketing that we're doing. Wow. And when you can point to that too, by subset, you know, email is accountable for you know, X percent of that and ads are accountable for X percent of that. That's a much more powerful thing than just going in with a story. A story is great, but you're talking to salespeople. They sell stories for a living to a certain degree um, and they can see through some of that noise. And so when you can really back it up with data, that's where it becomes really hard to refute. Yeah. Hey, you made $200,000 last year as a loan officer. I can make that 240 for you this year. Mm -hmm. My ears are open, right? That's, that's <laughs> you know, that's, that's yeah. what drives them. You know, I think that classic ROI strategy is really important. And it's, it's, it's funny to say that you need a strategy to help your loan officers realize and recognize the benefit of, of marketing themselves and, and helping to needing help with that. Um, because I think historically, and, and I'm not saying this is, is your team specifically, but just the industry in general, um, it is a little bit later adopter, a, you know, a late adopter to different strategies, whether that is, I mean, I think email marketing is an older strategy, but it, it works tremendously well. But when we're thinking specifically about social and paid ads, I think we're a little bit later adopted to that. And yeah. um, being able to show them, hey, look, I understand your hesitation, but here are the results for your peers that we've helped. And here's how we're going to help you again. It's, it's no brainer. Yeah, it's scary to a lot of the older people too. You know, a lot of the younger people, they get it. They, if nothing else, they know they should be there. Um, but yeah, for some of the older people, they're like, I just don't want to do it. You know, I've, I've gotten this far in my career without it. Yeah, I, look, look, Andrew, this is all fine and good, but like bringing donuts to the three real estate offices that I've worked with for the last 20 years has gotten me enough business, right? I don't need any of this other newfangled stuff. <laughs> and uh not not knocking LOs because they're they're wonderful but you know it's 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 trying to break those old habits to meet modern needs right and i think that that's why you're seeing a lot of success with within the younger LOs is that they recognize um who their target audience is and where they're where they are and that's the benefit of of any of these things right it's reaching your audience where they're at and whether that is online, whether that is at the golf course or just an email, like it, you're, you're figuring out ways to uh, meet those potential prospects and referral agents all over the cross of the board. So I love that. That's awesome. Um, all right. So anything else you want to share with that before we move on? No, I think, you know, just related to, uh, to why some of the younger people are starting to come up too. you know, I, yeah. I want to give credit to somebody for this, um, but I was at Digital Mortgage this conference in Las Vegas, put on my National Mortgage News a couple of years ago, and there was a quote that kind of rang true to me, which was, you know, technology is not going to replace loan officers, but loan officers who embrace technology will replace loan officers who don't. And I think the same thing holds true for marketing, where, you know, you have to be open-minded about this stuff now. It's no longer a choice of, well, I can do A or B. Like you got to do both now, or at least embrace digital because that's where everything is going at this point. Mm -hmm. so, so many decisions are made now. Yeah, I mean, it's you're absolutely correct. I, you know, I, I follow obviously a bunch of guys, mortgage loan officers, and you know some of these major influencers. And I was uh, saw Neil Dingra uh, the other day. You know, he posted something to the effect of, "Look, if you don't embrace social media today, in by 2025, you'll be out of a job." Right. And that, that's, that's the same topic as you're, as you're kind of saying is like, we need to embrace 
from a marketing perspective, but also from an individual loan officer perspective, like what do I need to do today to change my skill set in order to be relevant in the next five years? Well, I'm four years now because 2021 already. Oh, no, actually, we're only like four months away from 2022. So it's like crazy. Where did this year go? And last year, ever yeah. since COVID, it feels like everything's a blur. <laughs> it does. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's still processing 2020 at this point. Um, <laughs> wild, wild year. Um, so you guys have Spotlight, um, this program that I think is pretty unique to um, companies. That I, I talk to mortgage companies all the time. And this is something that is, I think, a really unique program that you guys have put together um, to help your LOs and um, agents that they work with. So share a little bit about Spotlight and, and what you guys do there, and, and then we'll dig into a little bit deeper. Yeah, so put simply, Spotlight is our attempt to drive value and give back to the real estate community. You know, we've always been, you know, I'm biased, but we've always been pretty good at marketing um in the mortgage industry and real estate is so similar it shares so many similar things with mortgage right a lot of the same ad channels a lot of the same lead gen tactics a lot of the same fundamentals and products available same type of customer um so you know it was probably mid 2019 we brought on a couple big branches at the beginning of 2019 had to scale up our team a lot to be able to support them and then we realized as we kind of leveled out after that we were like you know we got some time left over what do we do you know, and um, we were like, do we put more effort into trying to market for these loan officers, maybe add some more services that they can opt into and maybe create yet another adoption challenge for ourselves? Because um, as great as loan officers are, you know, they are so focused on their pipeline and rightfully so that it can be sometimes hard to get them to embrace some of this stuff. Um, so we were like, no, that, that probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Not the best use of our time. What if we started marketing to the people who are giving these loan officers or marketing for the people who are giving these loan officers business in the first place. Um, so it took probably six, eight months, something like that, to work with our compliance team on it. Because um, RESPA is a bit of a bear as it relates to trying to do anything for realtors compliantly in our industry. Um, but we got it approved through compliance. They were amazingly flexible, thankfully. Um, helped us establish, you know, fair market value and everything. And here we are, fast forward to August of 2021, you know, we have a ton of agents on the platform doing everything from social media for them to lead gen, um, advertising, email marketing, outbound dialing. Um, we have a CRM that they can use that collaborates with our CRM. Um, and it's something we really use to try and drive value for either agents we work with already or agents we've never worked with. And it's a way to potentially introduce them to a loan officer eventually as well. Yeah, so providing marketing support uh, in an agency setting as a mortgage company to real estate agents. I can see why you know your marketing team probably had a conniption the very first time you brought this up, um, <laughs> but really cool for them figuring it out. I mean, it is. I mean, you know, I'm sure that uh, if you you would bring that up at a, at a mortgage conference and said, you know, hey, yeah, we're offering marketing services for real estate agents everyone would tell you you're there's no way that's legal or compliant right um but so i'm curious just from like you know very high level overview one on don't need to dig into it too much but how did your how did your compliance team come to the conclusion that that is something that's possible to uh do 
after they got over the initial yeah. shock of the fact. Yes, after. <laughs> um, first they passed out and then, um, no, they, you know, what we really tried to do was look at kind of the spirit of the RESPA kind of legislation and say, look, the goal of this law is just don't buy referrals, right? If we're doing it equally, if we're being fair, we had to have a way, they made us actually create a fail safe where if agents are using our CRM, for instance, we had to have a setting where we just wouldn't even have access to their leads if they didn't want us to. Mm -hmm. um, so there were a few legal things like that, legal hoops that we had to jump through, um, had to have a whole separate terms and conditions agreement for uh, enrollment into it that you know indemnified us if something was wrong, granting wise or information wise and things like that. But um, you know, it was a bit of a process to get approved, but the important thing was just trying to establish what that fair market value was. Mm -hmm. Finding just like an appraisal kind of, right? Finding like services, finding out what they, you know, how the price was structured there, what they were charging for them, what the levers were to be able to get discounts or anything from that, and then apply them into our own kind of idea. And that's kind of what morphed Spotlight into what it is now. That's awesome. So just yeah, establishing a, a, a correct market value for these services and then being able to have um, gaps in place or measures in place to make sure that it's not a, I'm getting all those deals from those agents regardless of, of what they do for us, right? Yeah, because so. the agent doesn't want that either. I mean, we actually battled a lot. I mean, first it was weird talking to the agents where they were like, wait, you're not going to give this to me for free? What yeah. the hell? Um, so at first it was weird just getting over the, the whole initial shock and awe that they had to pay for something like that. Um, but then it was also the reluctance of, wait, I'm going to hand you my database. What are you going to do with this? You know, and it was a trust thing. Mm -hmm. um, initially the uptake on Spotlight was pretty slow and then it got way too big. We actually kind of stress fractured our team a little bit and had to create a wait list for Spotlight and, and kind of double back and figure out what to do. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a process at the beginning, not only from compliance, but also just kind of breaking that mold in, in real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Agents don't like to pay for things um, that they, they perceive. Well, not, not saying that they're like, it's, they're conditioned at this point from having been over the years of just getting things from mortgage companies. Right. Cause it, yep. we're all, you know, loan officers are historically just trying to, um, you know, buy their love, which is, against RESPA compliance, right? So that, that's where this whole law came to place is like, I can't buy my love. I can't buy your love. I can't buy your referrals. Um, we have to earn it. And this is a really unique way um, to do so by providing a bunch of goodwill um, and expertise. You know, they're, they're seeing this come in and, then, and I'm sure saying, man, total mortgage is, is pretty rad like to work with, right? They, this is a, just a pretty non-threatening way to get to know the company and see something value for their business. Um, and, but have, have you seen like an uplift in referrals then from agents that are part of Spotlight? Yeah, yeah, pretty significant. So we're still tracking that overall, you know, the results are preliminary, all things considered, because the suite is what, about a year and a half old. Um, but what we've seen so far in the relationships that we've tracked is a 41% increase in units referred from after the agent starts on Spotlight to before. Wow. Um, you know, what we're trying to come into now and account for is seasonality. You know, it's a little weird if you, if they sign up in June and then you're comparing, you know, the winter months and spring market to summer and fall, they're very different markets. 
Um, but we're continuing to measure it over time and that trend has held true so far where it's a 41% increase in units referred. And part of that to your point is, you know, just building some goodwill um, and showing them that we're trying to be different from other people. And part of that is the business generated from this. You know, a big perk of this is when we now, you know, I, we have a lot of loan officers who are interested in lead gen because that's become a really fundamental part of what we do. Um, it's the first option we pitch now for lead gen to the LO. Hmm. Instead of them saying, you know, they usually come to me saying something like, hey, this Zillow rep won't leave me alone. They want me to put a thousand bucks into my local market. What do you think about that? And I, you know, I try never to disparage Zillow, but I'm like, at the end of the day, it's going to be kind of a zero sum game, right? You're probably going to close about the cost per close that's going to be maybe worth it for your time right on the edge there, right? Um, and you can refer some of those deals to an agent, maybe get some extra love that way. But if you want, instead, you could run lead gen through a spotlight program and you split your cost with the agent 50-50. So now instead of paying 45 to 55 bucks for a lead through Zillow, we're generating leads on Facebook at about 20 bucks a lead for like a good qualified lead or um, 40 bucks on Google. Mm. And so we're like, look, now you take this potentially $55 lead, you're already making it cheaper at 40 bucks or 20 bucks. And then you're further cutting costs by splitting it in half with the agent. So your thousand dollar lead gen budget just became potentially two grand if you have an agent who wants to also spend a thousand. Yeah. So it's a way to get a lot more bang for your buck as well. That's awesome, dude. And I, I love that because it, I mean, to, to say that, you know, $10 essentially for splitting in half for a, for a lead. And that, yeah. that lead is not only are you just getting a lead, but you're then also getting benefit from working with an agent on that lead. That's yeah. like totally worth it. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, the biggest place where our agent or uh, LOs drop the ball, and I don't think it's different anywhere else, is trying to get to that lead quickly and then get it to an agent as quickly as possible because nobody really wants the loan, right? They want the house and the yeah. loan's just the means to the end. Um, so the spotlight program is kind of cool in that regard too, where the lead automatically goes into our CRM, drips kick off from the LO. If the realtor is enrolled in our realtor CRM, it goes into the realtor CRM, drips kick off from the realtor, the drips kind of play well together, mm. tag team the customer, and nobody even needs to call really. And all of a sudden that person's engaged on one side or the other, and then you yeah. can get to, to seal the deal. That's super cool, dude. I love that. <laughs> so how many, um, roughly how many agents do you guys have on spotlight today? So we have, it depends on the program. Um, yeah. So we have like a la carte type services where they could enroll just in social if they wanted. Um, and then we have what we call unlimited, which is kind of our all-in-one package deal, higher monthly fee, but they get everything. They're almost treated like a loan officer is here, you know? Um, so on unlimited, I think we have, should have really been prepared for account, but I'm thinking. That's okay. <laughs> just, just we have about five, offices and probably about six individual subscriptions. So call that maybe like 50 something yeah. agents um, and then probably another 40 a la carte. You know, awesome. So it's not massive yet, but um, you know, it's starting to get there. Oh, you're just getting started on it though. I, I, you know, I think in, I'd love to do this again in six months with you and hear how, how this is going. Cause I'm imagining, um, you know, especially as the market kind of softens up a little bit too, that more, more folks, both agents and loan officers will be more interested in, in turning inwards to think about how they can get more deals. Um, you know, we're already starting to see the market soften in a lot of markets today um, where houses are not going 
overnight anymore in, in a lot of places in the country. Um, a lot of places it still is, but you know, we're starting to see, and that could just be also a, a um, reflection on the time of year too, right? Kids are back in school. It's getting, you know, it's still pretty hot everywhere, but it's going to be colder soon. And uh, that slows things down. So small market's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I, 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 th- I predict great things with this. It sounds just phenomenal. Um, so how do you, so let's talk about how, like staffing that, right. From, from a CMO's perspective, you, you guys have a lot of different programs, a lot of different products that you offer to LOs and agents, and you know, you've got corporate branding, you've got individual LO branding, you got all these different things, multiple hats. Um, let's talk about the team for a minute. Um, how do you staff up for this? Um, and what does your, your team look like? And, and, you know, how do you, how do you plan on expanding that? Yeah, I think. You know, one of the perks of Spotlight was we never wanted to charge for it. So it's all kind of found money. Um, so that's really helped grow our team a lot because we can, every penny we make from that, we're just investing back into the team, right? We sign up an office for a couple grand a month and then another one for a couple grand a month. All of a sudden we have an employee that we can add to the team. Um, so I think for our size, we probably have a disproportionately large team, but we got about 15 people on the team. Um, and that consists of a couple of videographers, a couple of graphic designers, um, three people working full-time in social, one part-time, a data analyst, um, awesome marketing assistant, um, marketing coordinator who handles a lot of our loan officer communication, kind of our gateway there. Um, one person doing full-time paid media and I'm trying to think, I'm going to slight someone here, I know it. Um, but you know, we get, that's, that's loosely, um, what our team consists of, um, and a data analyst. I don't know if I said that, but obviously, you know, somebody running the numbers the whole time, keeping us honest on what we're doing. Um, and in terms of how that all works, oh, and three people on the spotlight team. So three people working on spotlight full time. Um, so how it all works is, you know, the spotlight team works on spotlight full-time and then inevitably there's work that goes beyond what they're able to handle so then we have the kind of main corporate slash loan officer team that helps backfill some of that responsibility but everyone works together everyone there's a little bit of a blurry line between every job so that we can cover if someone's out or um you know if one thing gets too intense like when we rolled out this paid media strategy you know there was way too much advertising work so we had a couple people slide over to the ad side um, create landing pages and, and create ad campaigns and stuff like that to get it going. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's amazing. What I think is, is commendable and unique for your team is the number of creators that you have. I think that's a, a big missing piece or link or, or pin or whatever you want to call it for a lot of companies today is that they're, they're not investing in content creation. And, you know, you have videographers, you have social media content creators, you've got, you know, you've got a lot of people who their sole job is to create content. And um, it's, it's a tough role to fill though, because a lot of people will say, you know, I can, I can throw on my uh, resume on LinkedIn or, or whatever that, yeah, I, I do social media, right? <laughs> it's like, everyone's got, especially all the, you know, every Same young that. person has, I do yeah. social media, right? But like, do you really? And, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's really cool that you guys have that as a core competency. And it's something that is really unique, um, to total mortgage, I think, but you're seeing the benefit from it, right? You're, you're having an ROI of 20% per, 
of for your LOs. And that's real money, right? That's real money for the LO. That's real money for the company as well. When you look at you know, how much you make on every transaction. And you know, so this like literally you have a, you know, it's not a, um, it's not a cost center. It's a profit center of marketing. And I think that's, that's really interesting to think about because I think a lot of executives of mortgage companies think of their marketing teams as a cost center that they, it, yeah. it just, it ends. It's just like, they just see these numbers growing and growing and growing. And they don't see that actual end result of how this helps them. Um, you guys have figured out a way to not only quantify that, but do it regularly to help make better decisions. But those decisions are now informing you to hire more creators. And so I, I would love for like a lot of companies just to hear that and see that, Hey, if you invest and do it wisely into content creation, whether that's social or email marketing or, or branding, um, that it can pay off and it does pay off um, tremendously for the individual, but more importantly for the company as well. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's a pain to track too. Like I, I feel for any company just starting out trying to do that, you know, the, trying to model that and tie it back. The luxury we have in mortgages, you have so much data on your customers and, and on everyone you fund um, that, you know, Part of that challenge is sifting through all of it and figuring out what's relevant to be able to attribute to the marketing production. But yeah, it's definitely a bear, but once you get it, it's a big difference. Something tiny, um, but that makes all the difference in the world. You know, like a year and a half ago, our CEO said, we need to change the, na the name of your department. It's no longer the marketing team. It's the business generation department. And just little things like that psychologically can make a huge difference. You know, you preach that back to the team. And it's like, listen, we're here because we love making cool stuff that resonates with our customers and makes an impact. But at the end of the day, we're here first and foremost to generate business for loan officers. That's why we're here. Um, and yeah, just trying to reinforce that ethos, I think helped a lot. Yeah. So you're the chief business generation department head. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Why didn't I make them? Uh, it sounds, uh, it sounds a lot more official. No, um, <laughs> that's cool. Well, I, I want to ask two questions and I, and I know we're kind of like, it's going a little long right now, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, thinking in terms of how to hire this talent though. Right. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people do struggle with, especially hiring content creators and, um, hiring people that understand the mortgage industry or understand, really understand social content. Um, those are two really difficult hires in a business generation department. Um, how do you, how do you find these people? Where are they? And what, what do you look for in, in a new hire in that area? The, I mean, I wish I had a secret sauce to finding them. The trick there is just numbers a lot of resumes to sift through. Um, you know, we're posting jobs kind of in the same place as everyone else, but the, the main thing is trying to vet people appropriately. Um, it's amazing how many self-declared social media experts you can weed out by forcing them or just asking them to walk you through a time that for instance, they made a change on social media in reaction to data that they saw. People just, most people just stutter on that question. They're like, wait, I don't, I don't look at the data. I just post. Like, well, that's not managing social anymore. You know, that was managing social at the beginning of social. Um, so we're really trying to vet, you know, people who have that kind of bird's eye view on things. We do a lot too, from an omni-channel perspective. It's not just one channel. Social is one component of an entire strategy 
that involves touches across everywhere our customers can be. Um, so we wanna hire people who see the field, but probably more than anything, the main thing we look for is actually a personality attribute. And it's people who wanna create value in the world. You know, if you wanna create value in the world, then you take joy in helping the loan officer increase their production because that's value. You're going to push yourself to learn more in your free time because you're driven by this mission that supersedes anything else kind of on the job level, right? Um, and you're gonna to wanna to challenge yourself. You wanna to continue to get to that next level. So trying to find someone who has that personality, I think is probably most important, but then making sure you fact check their skill set with some behavioral questions that force them to dig deep on what they've actually done and what they know. Yeah, and I think I think it's difficult, right? When you're when you yourself as an executive, whether or not you're over the marketing team, don't have a lot of experience in that field to ask the right questions, right? Um, so that's something that I think a lot of people need to, you know, really focus on is you know what are the what are the good questions to ask someone that you know, I, I, okay, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a mortgage executive right now. Um, whether or not I have a, a full-time marketing team, I, I realize, hey, I got to do something in social media, like, and I got to hire somebody. What are, what are some of the things that I should be asking them during that interview process? That's a good one. Um, I'm a big fan of anything behavioral. So I mentioned before, right? Walk me through a time when... Um, those kind of questions, I think, help to get to the bottom of people much quicker than, you know, asking, for instance, you know, did you see results from what you did or what's your approach to social media? Those are all good questions and potentially valuable in the greater context of an interview. But asking things like, you know, can you walk me through a time when you have received negative feedback? You know, if we're talking about, sounded like you met an agency in this case or employee? Employee. Which side? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, can you walk either, yeah, but yeah. a time when you either got negative feedback from your boss regarding your job on social media or negative feedback from a client and what you did to react to that and change the campaign? Or can you tell me about a time when you've had to optimize a campaign in light of numbers that you found or, you know, things like that, the people who are really good, the cream that's going to kind of rise to the top, you're going to be able to identify that based on the answers. You're going to have people who said, look, I just, we're having such trouble cracking this nut and here's why and then here's what we did and here's what happened after you have the before and the after picture and the people who really have been on that other side and who have created something successful it was never like we created something and it did amazing like that's that doesn't happen anymore i wish it did you're really cool if it did but it doesn't right it's there's some sort of adversity you have to get through. There's some sort of optimization process you have to get to, failures that you have to have along the way. And the good people are going to have those stories and they're going to be able to tell you why it happened and what they did ultimately that made it successful. Um, the people who haven't been there aren't going to have that story. Yeah, that's, I don't think I could say any better. I think that's, 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 a, that's the ticket, man, is, okay, what are your failures? And how did you, what did you change because of that failure? Yeah. Because we all have. I mean, there's there's no chance that anybody out there has had nothing but successes. And if, yeah. you, if you're not learning from your failures, then that's a real big red flag. Yeah, I joke to my employees. I'm like, I'm, I've probably failed more times than all of you combined, you know. And I've failed probably more times than anyone else in this company. But every time you fail, you make sure you don't fail at the same thing twice. But you got to learn something. And if you do that right, as long as it's not, you know, I wasted fifty thousand dollars on a campaign that generated no leads. I mean, that would be a 
big freaking problem. But if I'm failing on something kind of small in the spirit of greater progress, that's really what, you know, what matters. Totally. Awesome. Well, look, I, I think I, I could sit here and talk to you for the rest of the day. Um, but it, we're already at like 45 minutes here. And I found that most people only listen to about the first four and a half minutes. Um, so <laughs> if you did get to this point, <laughs> look, if, if you're hearing this and you did listen, uh, send me a message and I'll send you like a $20 Amazon card because I'm, I'm pretty sure no one will take me up on this offer because there's no one's gonna listen to this far. Um, but if you did, that'd be amazing. And because there are so many great points in here, um, would love that. So, um, Andrew, this has been just super informative. I think that if, if there are any, um, mortgage executives, marketing executives are looking to, you know, grow their skill set, um, both in just, you know, data and analytics, uh, social media, and, you know, reaching out and finding new revenue generating sources, business generating sources that they should be listening to this podcast and mimicking what you do, because it's, it's really incredible. So thank you for sharing your expertise, your knowledge here. Do you have any parting thoughts or parting, uh, things you want to share? A uh, couple good resources, maybe. If yeah, you let's hear it. Love um, that. But you know, for anyone who you asked about vetting talent and what to do, you know, um, I love this podcast. It helped me a lot when I was first learning to manage. It's called Manager Tools. Mm -hmm. um, it's another. I don't want to be plugging competitor podcasts. No, there's no, there's no competition here. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's a really good podcast for anyone trying to learn anything about management, frankly, behavioral interview questions, the one-on-ones to anything else. Um, and then, you know, otherwise just some social media stuff, you know, social media examiner, art of paid traffic. Those are a couple of really good podcasts. Um, and yeah, I mean, other than that, I think I'm good. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate the time again and it's just been super great. So uh, that's it guys. Thanks uh, for listening and Love to see you on the next episode. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks.